One, two, three, in the place to be. And here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go, here we, here we, here we go. NFL playoffs are here, starting this weekend with the wild card round. Boy, did I blow it on my college football playoff bowl picks. And Antonio Brown, what the hell are you doing? All that and more as you sit back, relax, and listen up to episode 8 of The Format. Time to talk a little college football, and um, I'm going to just go off the top of the head with this. First thing I'm going to say is, boy, was I wrong, was I wrong, was I wrong. I was so wrong when it came to the college football playoff games. Uh, first, of course, I'm going to start with uh, number three, Notre Dame, my fighting Irish against Clemson. I watched... Uh, Notre Dame back in 2013 in the national championship game get ramrodded by Alabama. I watched and I saw that they couldn't physically compete. They just weren't there yet. And then I watched over the past five years what they've been able to do in terms of building that team with recruiting, uh, getting bigger, stronger, faster, more athletic guys, watching the type of players that they were sending onto the league and just the type of players that they were having uh, at school, at Notre Dame, um, watching the, the play in the trenches, watching how much improved was the strength and conditioning of Notre Dame's athletes. So all that led me to believe from the improvement that I've seen over the years that they were ready. I really felt like they would be able to go blow for blow. Also, based on what I saw from Clemson a couple of years ago when Notre Dame played them, I felt like they would be able to go blow-for-blow blow with Clemson physically, and they would be able to hang in there and either win or lose a close game. And clearly I was wrong. I don't know if it's a function of the coaching. 30-3 to doesn't get it done. One thing I can say in watching that game, though, Notre Dame was not physically manhandled. Now, we know Clemson's defensive line, excuse me, is outstanding. They were able to get pressure on Ian Book. But Overall, if you watch that game, Notre Dame wasn't physically manhandled. They gave up four big plays, which obviously uh, resulted in four touchdowns. But those those big plays, you know, theoretically could have happened to anyone. They weren't physically manhandled, as I said. Um, losing our first team All-American cornerback uh, Julian Love for the bulk of the first half definitely did not help, <laughs> you know, watching his replacement get picked on and give up uh, two touchdowns. Now, one of those touchdowns he gave up, I got to tell you, he was in perfect defensive position, batted the ball, attempted to bat the ball down, batted it up in the air, and the Clemson uh, true freshman receiver just made an uh, absolutely miraculous catch and still managed to get the foot down in the back of the end zone. There's nothing you can say about that. That was just an outstanding player by an outstanding play by an outstandingly gifted offensive player. So there was that. 
Other than that, Notre Dame did an outstanding job for the vast majority of the game of bottling up uh, Etienne, the star running back of the Clemson Tigers. Of course, uh, late in the game, he broke, uh, I believe it was a 62-yarder to kind of seal it. Overall, physically, I said again, Notre Dame wasn't manhandled. They were just badly outplayed. I don't know if I like all of the uh, calls offensively in terms of the game planning. You know Clemson has a fast defense, so I don't like necessarily a lot of the throws to the perimeter, which couldn't really get the offense going. I know those are the kind of things that like uh, get your quarterback's confidence and get some easy completions. But against a team like that, I feel like you have to attack them and go down the field. Um, probably could have utilized some bunch formations to make things easier coming out of the routes and get, get some catches to move the chains. But Notre Dame was never able to get going offensively. They were only able to score three points in the game. And, of course, they gave up 30. So 30 to 3 was your end score there. Notre Dame simply wasn't good enough. And uh, for a lot of, you know, people out there who said Notre Dame didn't deserve to be there, I think that's kind of unfair judging a season's worth of work on an end result that you couldn't theoretically predict before the game took place, right? So they did everything that they had to do to be voted into the playoff. You can't negate all of that by saying, okay, they didn't play well in their semifinal playoff game. But it is what it is. It's back to the drawing board. I'm not sure what Notre Dame can do and how much better they can get in terms of competing with the Clemsons and the Alabamas. They've done a, a great job, again, in, in getting bigger, stronger, faster athletes and being able to physically match up. We saw them in the Citrus Bowl uh, last year beat LSU, who was a very gifted team loaded with NFL talent. Uh, we've seen them, as I said, go toe-to-toe a couple of years ago with Clemson. We saw them go into Virginia Tech, who's also a very gifted physical team, and beat them badly. We saw them beat USC at USC, so on and so on. So I, I think that they are doing a, a good job of closing the gap physically. But in terms of just being good enough to win these games, I don't know exactly what else they can do. Um, it is what it is. So that was the first one on which I was very, very wrong. Next game, I was uh, pretty wrong. I thought that I said before the game started that the Oklahoma – Alabama 14-point spread was disrespectful based on the job that Oklahoma has been able to do offensively all year long. And Oklahoma did cover. I think they lost the game by 11. But it took them so long to get going offensively. And I think all of that is a product of just not having had a clue physically just how dominant, imposing, and fast that Alabama defense was going to be. You see it on tape. Um, you've seen it in the last few years. You hear the pundits talk about it, et cetera, et cetera. But until you actually are able to go and play against it and get acclimated to that speed and that physicality, it's really difficult to prepare for that. And I think it took them so long in the game to get prepared that the game was kind of out of reach by the time they actually got flowing with their offense. They were able to score 34, which says a lot. I mean, there's no consolation prizes here, but they probably have one of the better offensive showings against Alabama all year long, if not the best offensive showing. So that shows 
what type of team they are, what type of talent they had. We'll see what Oklahoma is able to do next year. Lincoln Riley uh, just signed an extension with Oklahoma. So I was wrong with that one as well. Uh, Oklahoma wasn't good enough to get it done. They weren't physical enough. And if I'm Lincoln Riley, clearly my biggest focus in the offseason, number one, has to be developing that next quarterback, which he has shown uh, the ability to be able to do. But he's got to find a defensive coordinator who can change the mentality, change the mindset, and change the production. You look at it. Uh, Oklahoma is one of the worst defenses in the country. One thirtieth, last dead last in pass defense. If that pass defense is fiftieth, Oklahoma really has a chance to beat Alabama, right? Um, so we just that's got to be Lincoln Riley's focus this this off season. So that was the second game in which I was wrong. Third game in which I was wrong. UCF definitely believed UCF was going to beat LSU in the Fiesta Bowl. Now that actually was a one possession game uh, at the end. UCF was another team that really took some time to get going offensively. They really came out fired up and and were playing well. But then um, LSU kind of asserted itself in the trenches as they normally do. They're really good on the offensive line, and obviously they're outstanding on the defensive line. That was a really good game to watch. And again, much like the Oklahoma-Bama game, it took a while for UCF to figure out the uh, the speed and the physicality of that LSU's defense to be able to get the offense clicking. Uh, eventually, they were able to do that, but it was too little too late, and they weren't able to get the job done. And one has to wonder, not making excuses because injuries happen, but one really has to wonder if Mackenzie Milton is healthy and playing in that game, is UCF able to pull that thing out? Now, the UCF haters and the Power Five people are going to say, well, that's that. We can wash our hands of this nice little feel-good story. UCF is out of the way. I'm anxious to see where UCF gets ranked in the preseason and how they set up and if they're able to duplicate the success that they've had over the past two years next season under head coach Josh Heupel. It should be very interesting. They have um, they have a lot of speed. They're talented offensively. Um Clearly, they are going to have to uh, continue to try and step their game up in order to deal with the big boys. But I think they know that, and they want to continue to try and build their brand and, and build their program. And so, um, yeah, uh, UCF, again, uh, good showing, but there's no consolation prizes here. We don't get participation trophies. Uh, they lost, and by extension, I lost. Not that I gambled on the game, but I lost in that I was wrong yet again with, uh, with, with another big bowl game pick. Moving on from that, uh, Peach Bowl, Michigan and Florida. 41-15 Gators, I believe. Uh, outstanding win for the Gators. Big win to kind of continue to bring that program back to the national uh, relevance that it has had and, you know, rightly deserves uh, under head coach Dan Mullins. Um, definitely was unexpected for me. Definitely was unexpected. Obviously, Michigan had injuries. They had a number of guys sitting out, not playing in this final game, you know, based on uh, preparing for the NFL draft. Not something I'm particularly a fan of, but that's something I can discuss another time. Just watching and um, Michigan again, uh, despite the fact that they've been able to recruit better, get bigger, stronger, faster under Jim Harbaugh, better athletes, they just showed again, much like they showed against Ohio State, just a lack of overall 
elite team speed. They are a faster team than they were uh, under Brady Hoke, but we're talking about elite team speed, and it's just not there yet. Um, Harbaugh has stated uh, more than once uh, publicly that he's going to return to Michigan next year, although there are NFL teams that are said to be ready to offer a deal that he can't refuse to return to the NFL. So that's something to keep an eye on in the offseason. But I'm not going to sit here and give a whole lot of a lot of talk to Michigan being the loser. you got to give credit to those Gators, man. They went out there and um, they really put a beating on them. I'm sure that they were tired of hearing the Harbaugh talk, tired of hearing the Michigan talk. The SEC is an extremely prideful conference, as are their fans. Um, as an aside to that, uh, I covered the... Um, uh, the uh, TaxSlayer.com Gator Bowl the other night in Jacksonville, Florida, where uh, Texas A&M and uh, the NC State played. And, you know, being down on the sideline close to the end of that game, which was a blowout in A&M's favor, it is literally chest-rattling when you're at one of those games and you hear those SEC crowds chanting, SEC. SEC. Um, I've been to a fair amount of sporting events in my life, and that's probably a very different sound and feeling than I've ever heard and felt before at a sporting event. That's really something. Um, yeah, the, the SEC uh, teams and the SEC fans are extremely prideful, and um, honestly, while I'm not the biggest SEC fan, rightfully so, due to the continuous amount of football success that they've been able to have over the years. So, you know, the Gators uh, took that personally, uh, especially knowing that the SEC lost in the Peach Bowl last year when Auburn got beat by uh, UCF. And then, as I mentioned, just hearing all of the hardball hype, uh, I'm sure they were pretty tired of it. So they came out, the Gators did, and did a fantastic job of shutting that down and, you know, pretty much... They took the uh, they took the Wolverines into the deep water as Gators are wont to do, and they drowned them, forty one fifteen. So outstanding win! Congrats to the Gators, and that was just that was the fourth big game on which I was just totally wrong. So me and college football next season, if I uh, <laughs> if I tell you a certain team's gonna win a game, yeah, just don't listen to me. Mute that out because clearly I have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, Enjoy college football. Like to think I know what I'm talking about, but I was uh, I was dead wrong. And if these last few picks are <laughs> any indication, uh, you want to make some bets? Don't listen to me, uh, or listen to me and go the opposite way because you know I did a terrible job. But um, overall, it's been an interesting bowl season. Miami head coach uh, Mark Richt uh, announced that he's retiring and he'll be succeeded by uh, defensive coordinator Manny Diaz, who uh, also coincidentally is the innovator of the turnover chain. Uh, Miami, again, had an outstanding defense, I think number two overall this past season, although it didn't look like it the way they got uh, just uh, just bodied by uh, Wisconsin, 35-3, I believe, in their bowl game matchup. So uh, it's going to be it's gonna be really interesting to see what they do next year. I think it's going to be imperative for the Hurricanes to make sure that they look into getting a really sound offensive coordinator. Uh, we all know how much talent there is in Southern Florida. You can look in the NFL uh, to identify that, um, not just in college football. That is just a breeding ground for outstanding uh, football players. And um, so, you know, Manny Diaz, he's a Miami guy. He's got access to all those guys, you know, recruiting-wise, et cetera, et cetera. 
we know the defense is going to be great. It has been great under him, uh, under his, his watch and his tutelage. But how he's able, what type of offensive coordinator he's able to get, and how he's able to uh, recruit offensive players is going to be uh, very, very interesting. So, again, to wrap all that up, the college football season is just about over. Uh, coming up uh, uh, Monday night is going to be the national championship game. Uh, it's going to be Auburn and Alabama 4, which as uh, someone who's, uh, you know, uh, covering this stuff and, and, and trying to give you the information about I'm probably going to end up watching it. But I'm honestly not very enthused, um, as is most of the country not very enthused. Uh, ratings-wise, television ratings-wise, outside of pretty much the Southeast, uh, the football playoffs – did not uh, garner great ratings, and overall college football ratings are sliding. College football is desperately in need of uh, a great team that can really compete in the North and a great team that can really compete in the West if they want to get that great national fan base. As I mentioned, um, in the SEC region of the country, fans are absolutely rabid, and like I said, rightly so, but if they if college football wants a national base more like what they used to have uh some more parity in in the game would probably be beneficial so that's it after a regular season that saw record-breaking offenses and a slight return to some dominating defense Rookie QB play at a higher level than ever before in any one season. It's playoff time. This is when the legends are made. Teams and players are going to prove who's best, or at least who's playing and coaching the best during the playoff run. The wild card round starts this weekend with some pretty good matchups. Based on how absolutely terribly I did trying to predict college football playoff and some of the bigger New Year's Six Bowl game matchups, I'm not even going to attempt to uh, try to pick winners in this thing here because I'll probably just end up looking like a fool again, but that's okay. Anyway, the first wild card game is Saturday afternoon and features the resurgent Colts versus the Texans. Now, just like all the other wild card matchups, this is going to be a really good one. Um, the Texans are playing at home here, and this game is is really going to be interesting. A lot of times you hear that come playoff time, uh, you win with defense and running the football the Colts have the number 11 overall defense, and the Texans are right below them at number 12. So neither team should have a particularly easy move in the ball, either on the ground or through the air. Um, we know that the Colts defense has been playing really well lately, and the Texans generally have a solid pass rush and are pretty decent overall on defense. Uh, both are going to have excellent quarterback play. Although Deshaun Watson doesn't quite have the numbers that Andrew Luck does, nor does he have the experience Andrew Luck does. This is going to be his first playoff game. So how he is able to deal with that on the NFL level should be interesting. Needless to say, he's a national champion in college and a multiple-time college football playoff participant, so he knows a little something about uh, big game environments. But again, that was college, and this is a pro, so it's going to be a lot different. You don't have the benefit in the NFL of knowing that your team is generally going to have the best players on the field like a lot of times you do in college. But, you know, that that's a different issue entirely. A lot 
has to do um, in terms of the Texans' success with the offensive balance that they have. Uh, they have the number eight rushing offense in the league, which is pretty good and also explains why uh, uh, Deshaun Watson's passing numbers are going to be lower than those of Andrew Luck. Since the defenses are relatively even statistically, the game should probably come down to the quarterback play. And as I just explained, I'm going to give the edge to Andrew Luck. He's just having a, a really great comeback season here and probably should win, as a side note, uh, the Comeback Player of the Year award and should be an MVP contention, really, because we've seen what happens when Andrew Luck is not able to go for this team. They just, they're absolutely terrible. And as good as Deshaun Watson is and shown that he can be, the way Andrew Luck has been playing, the Colts probably have the advantage here. So, again, because I was just out of this world wrong on my college football picks and things like that, I am not even going to attempt to pick this game or any of the playoff games. I'm just going to tell you a little bit about each one. And so, um, yeah, the Colts basically have the advantage just overall uh, quarterback play and, and better offensively. The Saturday night game is going to have the Seattle Seahawks visiting Jerry's World against the Cowboys. So here's a side note. How amazing is it that all the networks that have NFL football feature the Cowboys in primetime games more than any other team? I cannot for the life of me understand why the Cowboys are so popular. America is built, always has been, on this mentality of American exceptionalism and basically being the best. So if that's the case, why would a team that's been mediocre since the late 90s still be putting out there this nonsense that they're America's team? I really can't figure that out. I guess it's another question for another day. Anyway, this Cowboys-Seahawks matchup really should come down to who can stop the other's run game, right? These are two outstanding uh, running teams with Seattle ranking first in the league in complete in total rushing offense while the Cowboys rank 10th. But the Cowboys probably have the league's, maybe not probably, but arguably have the league's best individual running back with Ezekiel Elliott. The Cowboys have a much better rush defense, though, at number five in the league, while Seattle is at 13th. But, you know, uh, pretty much for the entirety of the Pete Carroll era, they have prided themselves on playing outstanding defense. And um, longtime uh, uh, Legion of Boom mainstay Bobby Wagner is the last remaining member of that outstanding defensive unit. So he's going to have a lot of pride and he's going to have his guys ready to go and he's going to be ready to go. And maybe that 13th overall defensive rank um, belies what they're going to come out with. We'll have to wait and see. Both of the teams rank in the lower third of the league in total offense. So I don't expect a shootout in this case, but just looking at it, if the Cowboys want to win, they need to do what they've been doing during their 6-1 and one run that ended the season and clinched the division championship, NFC East division title. Get Zeke the Rock. Very simple, right? Get Zeke the Rock. Let me say this one more time. Get Zeke the Rock. Over that 6-1 and one stretch to end out the season, he led the league in touches over 200 and yards from scrimmage over 1,000. Right. So it's very simple. If you get Ezekiel Elliott the ball as much as you can, you have a very good chance to win. Another key stat in this game, the Seahawks are not going to give you the football. They've only committed 11 turnovers on the entire season, which was close to a single season NFL record for turnovers committed. That would have been 10. But this last game, they committed one. So they're at 11 on the year. But 
They're also top 10 in takeaways with 26 on the year. So generally, they're not going to give it to you and they're going to take it from you, which can often be a very good recipe for success on the defensive end. You can't live and die by turnovers, but it is a very good recipe if that's what your team continues to do. Now you have the quarterback matchup between Wilson and Dak Prescott. And in my opinion, it isn't even close. I've been hearing a lot of people saying that Dak is a franchise quarterback. And I'm not going to sit here and try to tell you Dak is trash or Dak is a bum. But he is a guy who has really been able to take advantage um, of great situations. Uh, Obviously having a great running back. This year having a great defense. In in the past having one of the best O-lines in the league. Dak like most people, are at their best when everything falls into line and everything is working perfectly for you. The truly elite quarterbacks are able to do things when everything is breaking down and still be successful. While Dak has had a respectable season, he's thrown for more uh, passing yards than Russell Wilson. He's got a higher completion percentage. Russell Wilson still has more touchdown passes and fewer picks with uh, uh, a higher QBR. Russell Wilson's on a Hall of Fame trajectory. Thank you guys. Go Hawks. Better than average but not at all elite as an NFL starting quarterback. So this primetime matchup should be pretty good. I think it's going to be uh, one of the ones to enjoy. It's a very good matchup in seeing two teams that play somewhat similarly and, and do things well. And I'm really anxious to see how the Cowboys' defensive unit is able to do against the number one rush offense of the Seattle Seahawks. The early Sunday matchup puts the Baltimore Ravens Uh, against uh, the San Diego Chargers. The Ravens have won six of their last seven games also and are coming in uh, playing really well and pretty hot. But their opponent, the Chargers, are one of the most complete teams in the league. They're really good on both sides of the ball, and we know they have excellent QB play with Phillip Rivers. I'm not the biggest Phillip Rivers fan, but because of all his gaudy numbers, I'm wondering, you know, and I've mentioned this before, where are the big stage wins, right? He clearly doesn't have a Super Bowl. He hasn't even gotten to a Super Bowl. So that kind of sticks out to me. He gets a lot of credit. I mean, he's been one of the better quarterbacks in the league consistently uh, throughout his time in the NFL. And he's probably a borderline Hall of Famer just based on statistical production. But I don't know that I believe that he's a truly elite guy. And he's going to face one of the truly elite defenses in the league uh, come Sunday. So that's going to be a great one. Um, three weeks ago uh, in San Diego, Baltimore beat them. And so uh, I'm sure that still kind of sticks in the Chargers' craw, and they will be fresh and ready to go. The Ravens, we know, have a rookie QB, and he's starting his first playoff game. Rookie quarterbacks in their uh, first playoff game don't normally fare too well. But Lamar Jackson is improving week by week in the passing game. And he leads the second-ranked rushing offense in the league, which, of course, is opened up by his ability to run the football in the uh, RPO game. This game is going to be Lamar Jackson's toughest challenge yet because, as we know, the the Chargers have an excellent pass rush. They can really get after you, and um, they play solid overall defense as well, strong secondary. So this is going to be his toughest game yet. And one of the biggest reasons as well the NFL playoffs are always all about defenses taking away what individual players and what teams do best. So the, there's the chess match. You know that they are going to do their best to stop you from doing what you do best. So you have to be able to uh, make the adjustments and uh, you know respond to that. 
So we know that the Chargers are going to do their absolute best to take away the Baltimore running game, especially in the uh, in, in the read option scheme with Lamar Jackson putting it on the ground himself. Now, as I said, he has been, you know, improving week by week. And we've seen in each game, he makes one or two throws that shows that the potential is there. So we're going to have to see, can he make the throws on a consistent basis that is going to allow them to win this football game? Baltimore, though, their best hope is what it always is. Whenever they've been the most successful, um, 2000 and then uh, 2013, winning championships, absolutely dominating defense. They've been a... uh, top four overall defensive team in the league since the year 2000. That is their calling card. That's what they've always done and what they will likely always continue to do. Um, The tried and true NFL formula for success in the playoffs has always been play great defense, don't turn the ball over, and have a solid running game and try to control the clock. Even if you go back to the greatest show on turf with those Rams in the uh, late 90s, even they had a Hall of Fame running back in Marshall Falk and they didn't win until the defense caught up with them uh, and they got Lovey Smith as the defensive coordinator. Now, the way these Ravens are playing, they're going to be a tough out. But in today's game, the modern NFL, uh, at some point, the quarterback is going to be forced to make big plays in the passing game. So it's left to be seen whether Lamar Jackson can do that and do it consistently. At this point in his career, um, we probably haven't seen enough of it but there have been flashes, and, and that's probably enough um, for Ravens fans to be hopeful. We know that, again, with the running game and with that defense and outstanding special teams, Harbaugh being a former special teams um, coach and having the most accurate field goal kicker in NFL history in Justin Tucker, we know that Lamar Jackson is going to have all the help that he needs. So the key is make a couple of big throws where they're needed and don't turn the ball over. The last wildcard game of the weekend is going to put the defending champion Philadelphia Eagles against one of the league's best defenses in the Chicago Bears. And if you can't tell, I'm a guy who, again, coming from a different era, really enjoys dominant defense in football. The flashy passing game and all that is great, and it is exciting, and it's good for the novice fan, and it's good for the casual fan. But dominating defense, to me, is just an amazing thing, especially when you're in an era which has tried literally to handcuff defenses in order to promote uh, offense for the sake of growing the game to the novice fan, right? So I love to see dominating defenses, i.e. Baltimore, i.e. the Chicago Bears, i.e. Uh, uh, Jacksonville Jaguars and, and the Minnesota Vikings last year, et cetera, et cetera. So this is going to be a really good game seeing the Eagles against the Bears. So now you look at it, Carson Wentz is is done for the year. Nick Foles is once again the starting QB in Philadelphia, and they're 4-1 this season when he starts. I think if you asked every GM in the league who's better, Carson Wentz or Nick Foles, they're going to tell you Carson Wentz. But somehow, someway, the Philadelphia team just seems to respond better when uh, Nick Foles is in the game, right? Since week 11, the defense, though, hasn't played too well and is in the bottom third of the league. Um, But the offense really seems to be clicking under Nick Foles in a way that it wasn't under Carson Wentz this season. Meanwhile, the Bears are dominant on that side of the ball. The Bears are a lot like the Ravens in terms of 
when they've been their most successful in franchise history, it's been on the back of a dominating defense. And the addition of Khalil Mack has really uh, sparked that resurgence this year. And he is living up to the uh, legends of the previous great Bears linebackers in terms of Mike Singletary and Brian Erlacher. He's doing it in a different way, being a better pass rusher than both of them. But he is absolutely, you know, living up to that Monsters of the Midway type moniker. The Bears are number two overall in total defense and lead the league in multiple defensive categories. That's going to be a major, major challenge for Nick Foles and the Eagles offense to deal with. Um, Also, the weather is likely to be brutal. Now, coming from Philly, uh, you know, Nick Foles and the Eagles, they know what cold is. They know what windy is. But it's just a different type of cold when you play in Chicago and Soldier Field in this time of year. But regardless, this is probably going to be some really good old school smash mouth physical football. Um, The type that maybe a lot of fans now don't want to see, but it's really going to reveal a lot of things about uh, players' character and about will to win and about X's and O's. Uh, Matt Nagy is a really good offensive coach who has put uh, Bears quarterback Mitch Trubisky in great positions to succeed. And we're going to see just how he's able to scheme it up and diagram it um, uh, against the Eagles, who also have a formidable pass rush. The Bears are not an outstanding offensive team, but it's going to take uh, it's going to take some scheming to to see what can be done in terms of making uh, the Bears successful. I think again they're going to rest on their defense, but um, it's going to be it's going to be really good to see. Uh, if you look at it, though. The Eagles are probably not afraid of facing this defense because if you remember, the Minnesota Vikings defense uh, last year was one of the best, if not the best in the league, and Foles and the Eagles absolutely shredded them in the NFC Championship game to punch their ticket to the Super Bowl. Um, A big thing for the Eagles defense, though, they better key in on Tariq Cohen, who's a real multifaceted weapon who is dangerous and has scored in multiple ways throughout the season as a runner, receiver, and in the kick return game. So really great matchup, Uh, two solid defenses, one outstanding, one in the Eagles, uh, less than great statistically, but has really good personnel and can get after the quarterback. So that's another one I can't wait to see. All of these wild card games are going to be really intriguing. They're great matchups across the board. And this is kind of where the NFL um, uh, is different from the other leagues, right? In the NBA, you pretty much know who's going to be there at the end. In college football, you pretty much know who's going to be there in the end. But in the NFL, the only thing you can predict with any relative certainty is that the New England Patriots are going to win the AFC East and probably end up in the AFC title game. Regardless, this weekend begins the winner-go-home stage of the NFL season. And this is the part we love the most. And hopefully we'll see some new legends born and maybe others proven or disproven. So no NBA segment today. If you missed it, check out my all-NBA special podcast that I did, put that out on Monday. Uh, myself and uh, former AAU coach, good friend of mine, uh, Andy Noel, we did that. We worked on it. Gave you a lot of 
really good uh, NBA material, entire podcast, just for hoops. So make sure you go check that out, and uh, we'll get back to some good NBA talk next week. And before we get up out of here, you know what time it is. It's time for the Bruce Breakdown. So star Pittsburgh Steelers wide receiver reportedly requested a trade from the organization. When I heard that, I wondered to myself, what the hell is going on here? Let's take a little bit of a look at it. We know that he's a guy who's had multiple locker room type issues over the past few years. One of the biggest ones being um, making a Facebook Live post during a fiery post-game speech by head coach Mike Tomlin heading into the following week's big game against the uh, New England Patriots, which, of course, they lost. But that that was a big one. Um, Recently, we're hearing of him bumping heads with uh, star quarterback Ben Roethlisberger. Not sure exactly what that was about, but I guess as uh, the days and weeks go by, we'll kind of get more information as to that. Um, Regardless of all of that, he has been in the type of situation that most of the quote-unquote diva wide receivers would dream of being in. Let me ask you a few questions. Isn't it enough that Antonio Brown is a multiple-time All-Pro? Isn't it enough that he's a superstar off the field with national endorsement deals? I mean, he was on the cover of Madden. That is a big one for any player, despite the so-called Madden curse. Isn't it enough that he got paid and has the contract that he wanted, complete with a $19 million signing bonus and an average salary of about $17 million a year? Isn't it enough that he's one of the primetime playmakers on one of the most explosive offensive teams in the NFL? Isn't it enough that you have a top 10 coach in the league and a top five current playing quarterback who is guaranteed to be a Hall of Famer? I guess not. And then I wonder, what does it take nowadays to make some of these guys happy? The mentality of the modern day star athlete is truly a mystery to me. I I seriously can't figure out what some of them are thinking. And as much as the money is great and the prestige is great, in a lot of ways, it's probably a nightmare to be a coach of a professional athlete in the United States nowadays, whether it's NBA or uh, the NFL or college. What is the problem in Pittsburgh? What could it be? I mean, seriously, this guy's got way too much ability to be conducting himself in this kind of way. I'm, I'm truly lost. If these reports are true, though, in this receiver and pass happy NFL There's just a lot of teams that would probably love to get this guy via trade. Now, if the Steelers managed to trade him before June 1st, they would be stuck with a $21 million cap hit. So that's probably not going to happen from an organizational perspective. I wouldn't do it. I would probably try to find some way to levy some sort of discipline to get this guy in line. But then, you know, get him back on the field and after that, get him back with the team because realistically we know what type of valuable commodity he is and what type of explosiveness ability and production that he brings to the field you got to wonder what is the real reason behind all of this could it be personality differences it's my personal opinion that maybe the things i mentioned earlier are not enough and one of the biggest issues that he really has on this team is juju smith schuster is getting his now this past season Juju Smith-Schuster led the team with 111 catches and 1,426 receiving yards. But even more than that, he was awarded the Steelers' 2018 team MVP. 
that probably did not sit right with Antonio at all. Meanwhile, Antonio had another outstanding season that most receivers in the league would kill for with 104 catches and 1,297 yards. I mean, his production is out of this world year after year. But that said, it's hard for a lot of guys to share the spotlight. You always hear it said by coaches and pundits. It's, it's one of those um, uh, athletic normalisms. They say there's no I in team. But we've seen time and time again that there's definitely a me. Antonio Brown is showing that right now. Now, on the flip side, we don't know what may have happened on the opposite side. So it's probably not fair to vilify him without having all the information. But from what I'm seeing, just looking at it from my perspective, which again, lacks a lot of uh, information and I can only see one side. I'm just gonna reiterate that to me, it's ridiculous. You're Antonio Brown, you're a multiple time all pro, you're probably rich beyond your dreams growing up. You got a $19 million signing bonus to sign your deal. You're getting an average of about $17 million a year. Uh, you're a superstar with national endorsement deals. You're all over the TV. You play for a top 10 coach and you play with a top five quarterback who's going to the Hall of Fame. What more do you need, bro? Now, I guess from where I'm sitting, it's pretty easy for me to ask that question. Also, being that I don't have information from the opposite side, being the Steelers side on, you know, what may or may not be uh, provoking that situation. But just based on the limited information I have and based on seeing from my outside perspective what's going on there, it seems like uh, Antonio Brown is absolutely living up to the moniker of Diva Receiver and obviously to the detriment of his team. It's substandard in my opinion. He needs to pull his head out of his you-know-where, get right, collect your money, continue to dominate, and contribute to your team's success. Because for all of that team's success, you don't have a Super Bowl. This team has the talent to get it, the coaching, the quarterback play, everything. But you're not there yet. So you need to go ahead and get right and make that happen. So that's it for this week's episode of the Bruce Breakdown and for this week's episode of the Format Podcast. You know what it is. If you uh, want to get a hold of me, you can definitely find me on Twitter at Mr. Many Facts. That's at Mr. Many Facts, where you can correct me on something if I'm wrong. You can remind me of something I may have forgotten or left out. You can suggest topics you might want me to discuss on next week's episode. Definitely, uh, if you just want to shoot the breeze with me, you can do that too. Got a lot to say. Um, and uh, again, thank you for listening. And I'm out.